All right, we're going to get going. We're going to talk tonight about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Our scripture for this, you know, we just celebrated um, the birth of Christ. And immediately following the, the birth of Christ, he launches into his kingdom. You go in Matthew where it talks all about um, the lineage of Jesus and how he came to be born. And then immediately after that, we go into John the Baptist, who's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to study um, for a little while. We're going to study the kingdom of God. Because here's one thing that I've been saying over and over is I don't want to be how do I say this? I don't want to be Christians that walk around powerless. I don't want to be baby Christians the whole time, okay? I want us to grow up. We can be, you can be a baby Christian if you want to, but I don't think that's what God really desires of us, and I don't think that's where we're going to find our most joy if we remain in an infant state. So we're going to work on discipleship. We're going to work on what it means to be in the kingdom, what it means to be mature, what it means to be powerful, what it means to be Christ-like, what it means to be citizens of a kingdom, okay? Is that fair? We're going to grow up together, all right, so that we can, when hard things come our way and we're suffering um, through the trials and tribulations, of this world that we're not just hanging on for dear life. There we are actually overcomers, okay? That we have, we have skills and weapons and knowledge that can help us overcome what the world has thrown at us, and not only us to overcome, but we're snatching out of the jaws of hell all the other people around us, right? That we are atmosphere changers. We're world changers because we belong to a different kingdom, right? We're citizens of a different kingdom. And so we, I don't know you guys, we might do this for six months. I have no idea. But I want us to go from milk to solid food. And we're going to do what that takes. And you're all coming with me, whether you want to or not. Okay. So our scripture here, I want to talk about, this is Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. And this is what he says of the coming king, of the coming Messiah. Okay. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So even in the Old Testament, we see this idea that there's a coming kingdom. If you remember your Old Testament history, um, the nation of Israel started out with judges and prophets, and then pretty soon they're like, hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. We want to have a king. Eventually, the line of David was established. And you remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And God said, I am going to put a person on the throne in the line of David who is going to be your forever king. You've had all these good and bad kings, Israel, and they've led you astray. You've, you've um, fallen apart. Now you're under the rule of, of foreign uh, governments. But there's coming a time when there's going to be a forever king, the line of David, who's going to rule and reign in righteousness and justice and is going to set everything right. And that's where we live today. We live in the rule and reign of Jesus, 
the coming king who has come, and now we get to experience everything that's been promised to Israel, we also get to experience it as well. That's called the gospel of the kingdom, okay? Because when Jesus came, he didn't come just to save us to eternal life, okay? That was one thing. But he came to set things right that were wrong and also to establish a new kind of kingdom, right? And so we need to explore what are those things because we can be saved to heaven and good land, I want to go to heaven. I'm tired of being this, right? But we're also part of a kingdom today that we need to learn how to live in and function. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to have you go ahead and play my video. I thought that was a really good overview of what the kingdom is. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so we're going to be talking about um, different aspects of the kingdom of God. How many people here watch um, that series, The Crown? Oh my gosh, only one person? Anybody else watch The Crown? Okay, well, The Crown, anyone watch Downton Abbey? Oh my gosh. Okay, so The Crown and Downton Abbey are um, period... Um, TV shows about a time in England, like in the 1900s, early 1900s, and um, the Crown especially talks about the monarchy in England, which is very, very fascinating to me. In fact, I just went and saw this movie called The Darkest Hour, 9.15 in the morning, what was it, like December 28th or something like that. <laughs> because it was the only time we could get in, I went with Bob and Janet, the only time we could get in where we weren't sitting in the front seat, so it had to be at 9.15 in the morning. It's just wrong, isn't it, Janet? You shouldn't see movies at 9.15 in the morning. And it was, it was pretty full, too, wasn't it? With people as mature as us, right? Not very, not very Im many immature people. <laughs> But what I'm trying to say is what's fascinating is in England, they still have a monarchy. They still have a kingdom. It's called a constitutional monarchy, and there's a relationship between the, the monarchy and, I guess, the, the civil government. I don't exactly know that relationship, but the monarchy has to actually approve of who the people elect. It's a weird relationship. But my point is there's still a country, a powerful country in this world that has a, a ruling monarchy. And um, so I thought, and that's what's interesting about the crown is it talks all about the monarchy and, and even the culture of England that still esteems a monarchy. I mean, they love the royals, even though it seems like they don't do very much, you know. And even Americans love the royals, right? I mean, we're all fascinated with the royalty over there and everything. And I thought it was just really interesting that there still is a, a working um, kingdom, if you will, an empire. Britain calls themselves an empire, you know. And so I wanted to just look at what are the aspects of a kingdom. Because we, what we're called into, what Jesus was preaching was not a democracy. It was not socialism. It was not communism, for sure, right? It was a kingdom. And that's something that maybe as Americans we're not quite so familiar with because we're more familiar with everybody having a say, right? In fact, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, now Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven in Matthew because Matthew is speaking to Jews, and he doesn't want to use the word God because that's 
sacred. So he uses the word, excuse me, heaven. But in the Gospels, it's used 130 times. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is used 130 times. Kingdom is translated the realm in which a sovereign king rules. In fact, John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But the good news isn't, like I said, it's not just about salvation. It's about salvation from death to life, but it's about restoration of things gone horribly wrong and the institution of a new system. In fact, the way that God goes about birthing this kingdom, if you will, to me is one of the most fascinating reversals in history. If you study the Old Testament, there is a literary, um, oh, what do I want to say, mechanism that is used called uh, the reversal. And you see this a lot of times. Remember um, when Joseph was thrown into the, to the pit? and then he was thrown into prison. And both times, it was unjust. He was thrown, he was in captivity. He was not able to have freedom. He's not able to do what he wanted. In fact, when he was in the prison, he had um, Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and Baker. baker go in, and he was able to interpret their dreams, and they got out, and they totally forgot about it. He said, remember me to Pharaoh when you get out, and they got out and totally forgot about him. And so he was stuck in the prison still, for a long, long time. But then there came the reversal, right? And what happened was Pharaoh began to have dreams, and all of a sudden, was it the cupbearer? One of them. Whoever didn't get their head cut off, the other guy. The baker got his head cut off, so it was the cupbearer. Remembered, oh, there's this guy in prison that interpreted my dreams, give him a shot. So he comes before Pharaoh, he interprets his dreams correctly, and all of a sudden, the man that was in the pit, the man that was in the prison is now second in command in Egypt. And not only did he save Egypt from famine, but all the nations around, including Israel, including his brothers and his family that put him in the pit in the first place. This is a foreshadowing and a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Because the kingdom to come is about reversing what has been done wrong reversing the curse is what I like to call it. And we see that with Joseph and we see that with Esther. There was a big reversal in Esther where she became the deliverer for her people. We see this in Moses. Moses was thrown into the desert, ran away into the desert for his life because he had committed a crime and, and thought, I've got to run away to the desert. And he was used to deliver his people. That's what God does when we begin to walk in the kingdom. <clears throat> in fact, to me, one of the biggest reversals in history is the story of Mary and Joseph. And I know I've told this to some of you, but I have to tell it again. Because to me, it's the most powerful thing there is. Because Adam and Eve and Mary and Joseph are archetypes, if you will. They're prototypes for humanity. They stand for us, both as humanity and as men and women, all right? Because we were created Adam and Adam and Eve. Does that make sense? And in the Garden of Eden, you see Adam and Eve shirk their duties and fall from grace. You see 
Eve listening to another voice besides God, and you see Adam completely abandoning his authority, and you see Adam completely um, being under the influence of his wife. In fact, in the Bible, when it says he was with her, it means he was standing right next to her when the serpent was talking to her. He could probably hear what the serpent was saying. And Adam is the only one who had direct revelation from God about the trees. Eve had only heard it from Adam. She had not heard it from God. Adam had heard it from God. So you got two, you got two people doing the wrong thing here, right? And the consequence of it is, not only did humanity fall, the genders came into conflict with each other. Because what the enemy knows is if you want to get something, you divide and conquer. You pit people against each other. If you want to win, you pit people against each other, especially the genders, right? So this is the way our race started out in conflict with each other, the prototype for humanity. And we fall into slavery. But now we've got Mary and Joseph, and we talked about this last time. I'll use you again, Abby, because you were so good. (laughs) We've got Mary, who's 14, 15, 16 years old, and she hears an angel come to her. Now remember, here's the parallel. In, In the Garden of Eden, who came to Eve? A serpent, another voice, God's voice, an evil voice. Now... With Mary, we have a messenger from God. It's not God, but it's a messenger from God. Comes to Mary, but what does Mary do? She believes. She believes and obeys. She says, let it be done unto me. Not only does she believe the voice, she participates and cooperates with God. Now we've got Joseph, the other, the parallel. So Mary's the parallel to Eve. Eve disobeyed. All of humanity fell through her. Mary obeys Jesus' birth through her. Do you see that? Do you get goosebumps on that? Now we've got Joseph. What would you say? I did. I know, right? Now we've got Joseph. He's not heard through Mary. He hasn't heard the, the, um, the angel. And yet he finds out that Mary's pregnant and she's going to have Jesus. And he decides, I'll, I'll just divorce her quietly. And now he has a dream. And he hears the voice of God. This is Jesus who, who Mary is going to birth. You need to marry her and raise Jesus. And you need to name him Jesus. And what does Joseph do? He listens and obeys. He's reversing the curse of the first Adam. Adam abdicated his responsibility to Eve. Joseph stood up. Do you see how powerful that is? That's the birth of the kingdom. The kingdom is all about taking what the enemy meant to separate and to bring strife and discord. And and the kingdom says, oh, no, we're reversing that. We're giving man and woman another chance to do it right. We're going to give Mary the archetype for femininity to do it right, and we're give Joseph the archetype for maleness to do it right. Mary's going to listen and obey. Joseph's going to listen and obey, and he's going to be there for, for Mary. He's going to protect her. He's going to raise Jesus. He's going to be the father, the earthly father to Jesus. That, my friends, is the birth of a kingdom. Can I tell you? <clears throat> because God's all about saying, listen, I know that you guys didn't do it right before. 
you didn't listen to the right voice. You didn't obey me, and now you're at odds, but I'm going to set that all right. Now you're doing it together. I need Mary and Joseph to do it together. You're going to do it as a team. You're going to partner. What, what the enemy meant to separate, we're bringing back together. That's what happened with Mary and Joseph. And I want you to understand, we need to walk in that. We need to walk in that redemption picture of Mary and Joseph and realize that we get to participate with God. We get to listen and obey, and we're no longer under the curse of Adam and Eve. Amen, people. We're no longer under the curse of Adam and Eve, not separately and not together. We can now work together the way that we're supposed to do it to birth the kingdom. And that's what, Ad, that's what Mary and Joseph did. They worked together to birth a kingdom. So that's huge, first of all. The other thing I want to, this is what I want to talk about, and then we'll get into some other stuff later on. You know, the kingdom of heaven is not ruled by a president. <laughs> not ruled by an elected official. It's ruled by a king. And we're not real familiar with kings, like I said, in America. We're all used to having our own voice and casting our vote and then being all bitter when our person doesn't win, right? <coughs> we want to criticize and point fingers. Seriously, right? We want to be super bitter when our person doesn't win because we know everything, right? That's not the way the kingdom works at all. And as Americans and as, as modern 21st century people, we need to get over that. We live in a kingdom where we are the subject and Jesus is the king. And Right? That's an amen. We need to understand what the sovereign rule of God means in our life. We need to grow from infants to children and realize if we're going to be participants in a kingdom, there are certain characteristics and there are certain there's a certain culture that we got to line up with not to like beat us over the head but because the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is different than what we see on earth it's not an external kingdom it's an internal kingdom and it's an upside down kingdom right if you look at the characteristics of our king We know that he's from the direct line of David. This is why it was real important that Matthew went through all the genealogy to show that Jesus really does come from David. But the other thing about um, Jesus, and we saw this in our video, the Jesus that we worship as king is a suffering servant. He's a sacrificial lamb. He's somebody who was born in a stable. He wasn't born in a palace. He's not somebody you would expect to look like a king. His power and his claim to fame was to give up his life for people that hated him. This is the king that we're called to serve. This is the culture that we're called to live in. Remember, I was talking about England. England still maintains a culture of monarchy. They still respect the monarchy. They have certain characteristics and a, a culture that understands and appreciates it, we, as citizens of the kingdom, need to understand the culture of the kingdom and the sovereignness of the king and the characteristics of the king so that we can be like him. And it's not going to be something that's going to be intuitive, like I said, <coughs> especially in America, or maybe the whole world, but especially in America, we're used to, you know, it's our way or the highway. Rugged individualism. 
I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. They're going to get theirs. No one's going to treat me this way. Very much individualism in America, right? That's not so much in the kingdom, just so you know. Right? Am I right? In the kingdom, what does Jesus say? The first shall be last. What did Jesus do? He washed the feet of the disciples and even Judas, just so you know. Let me just tell you this. If, if Jesus knew everything, do you think he probably knew Judas was going to betray him when he picked him? Do you think he spent three years with him, even though he knew he was going to betray him, yet he chose to love him? Yet he chose to disciple him. Yet he chose to fellowship with him. Because that's the nature of the king we serve. And so I'm going to wrap it up here because you can see my voice is going. But the one thing that I want to say to you is what we're going to learn is what it means to lay our rights down and become more like Jesus in terms of the people we come in contact with. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about different aspects of the kingdom. We're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about everything that Jesus did. But at the very core, I want you to understand, Jesus is not a king as the world is a king. Jesus is a servant, and that's what he calls us to be, to lay our rights down and say, Lord, how do I serve this person? How do I love them? How do I forgive them? And that's not an easy thing to do, but that's what we're going to learn to do because that's what unlocks the kingdom. That's what unlocks the power that Jesus came to share with us is to take on the characteristics of who he really is.